Blog Talk Radio. Women have the power to transform this world. We can end crime and violence if we all agree to do one thing. Share. Let's share our wisdom, share our time, share our talents, share our finances, but most of all, let's share our love. This is The Female Solution. Join me, Naima Latif, every morning, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, as we bring you stimulating discussions about the issues affecting our lives. If you're listening online at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the-female-solution, press the blue button that says follow and get our daily topics every morning directly to your email and your smartphone. Hi, I'm Naima Latif. Executive Producer of the Female Solution Radio Show. We invite you to call in 515-605-9325 and participate in this daily think tank as we examine the challenges we face and develop solutions that restore peace and harmony. We are global transformers, changing the world from the way it is to the way it should be. We are one. Wherever we live on this earth, We are one human family. On behalf of our team of radio hosts, I'd like to extend a greeting to all the members of our family, whenever and wherever you may be listening around the world. To our family in China, Ni Hao. In India, Namaste. In Japan, Konnichiwa. In Korea, Annyeonghaseyo. In Russia, Zrastutsye. In Germany, Guten Tag. In Poland, Dzień Dobry. In France, bonjour. In Spain, hola. In Italy, ciao. In Egypt, athen wasalan. In Ghana, akwaba. In Nigeria, peleo. In South Africa, saobona. In Senegal, nangadef. In Kenya, jambo. In Israel, shalom. In Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Saudi Arabia, assalamu alaikum. Greetings. And may peace be upon you all. What if you could live to be 120 years old and remain active, healthy, alert, and vibrant? Our bodies are made up of cells that are constantly rejuvenating. So if we take proper care of ourselves, we can literally defy aging. Join us every Tuesday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Standard Time to learn about self-cell care from Susan Essentials on the Female Solution Blog Talk Radio Show. Learn how to help your body and yourself feel rejuvenated each day through proper nutrition, sleep, frequency medicine, and many unconventional methods of self-care. I'm Jody Susan. Join me and my amazing guests by calling in at 515 515- 605-9325 and press 1 to speak. We'll help you achieve a breakthrough in your health today. Everything else is a Mickey Mouse car company. Everything else is a Mickey Mouse company, right? So that was kind of ingrained in my head. So being the dutiful son, I went to school and studied engineering. But it's interesting the dissonance I experienced in that because while I was doing what I should, there was also this under uh, undercurrent of, of wildness in me, 
Here joining Jolie Sistan and her guest, Dr. Kevin May. Trying to understand 
the beliefs that constrain me, the beliefs that help me, and just understand what that cognitive lens is I've developed. Be able to pull it off, polish it, change the beliefs to move with greater intention. So it all started, uh, and I'm sure the seeds were planted before then. Yeah, <laughs> the, the seeds were planted before then, but that was a major pivot point in my life. Is there any chance that you might have two windows open? Um, for this show, because I hear a reverberation, I'm wondering when when I speak. Okay, it's gone now. Okay. Whatever it was. Yep. So awesome. So, um, so it's listening to you. Mm-hmm. And what occurred to me as you're in that plane is that you're really getting out of the box, so to speak. You're pushing the limits. You're pushing the envelope. You're moving past the belief systems that are that shape our paradigm, our current paradigm. So you don't belong in a plane, right? You belong in front of people. And you knew that your 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 higher self knew that, mm-hmm. and you it was I mean not only of course what was best for you but best for humanity. <laughs> right, right, right. Teach people how to push the envelope for their current paradigm. You know it's interesting because it's been a reoccurring theme: the dissonance between falling into a role, being the good responsible man, doing what I should and letting my wildness run, my true potential in the universe, and breaking out of that mold in the same way I was, you know, nearly crashing the airplane or being stranded on the West Coast. Like, those moments, in those moments, I feel like my soul is able to soar, and I'm able to connect with something larger. Um, But then what happens? I mean, kind of get into the day-to-day, I get into the day-to-day, and I sometimes feel like a horse with blinders on, right? I'm just moving this direction over and over and over and don't even see what's right in front of me until I allow myself to step into some radical moment and strip away the blinders, strip away the veneer, and really be vulnerable in, the, in those moments that, uh, it's those moments that allow me, I think, to reconnect and to find purpose and meaning and to actually live the life I was meant to live. You know, we all yeah, have live on purpose, live with intention, right? Yeah, we have a hundred year gift here on planet Earth and I consistently have to ask myself, what okay, it's all gonna be over. What am I meant to do and experience and live? And what is my my higher self calling me to do? Especially when I get in the trap of fatherhood, parenthood, being a householder, all of the things, being a member of society, the with the roles and the rules and how do you fit into that in a way yeah, that yeah, I think it's a struggle for most of us to and I know that's been my uh, struggle all my life mm-hmm. is finding the balance well first was finding the balance within me and finding inner peace within me and then which that's always a constant <laughs> like it's never really done by the way Mm-hmm. Um, and then you don't just arrive. <laughs> why? <laughs> well, you arrive when you pass. <laughs> but, <Maybe. laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Or you get to come back down to Earth School. Yeah. Um, which, if, by the way, if you could put your your information for me in the private chat. I will also run your information, like how people can get in touch with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, if you put in the private chat, I'll put it as a um, uh, as a ticker across the the screen. So, um, you know, similar to what I'm, I'll show you. Like, so this is what I'll do for you. <laughs> so, um, but finding the balance of work right um i was never a mom i was a mom to other people's children and but i didn't actually give birth that whole thing scared me Uh, (laughs) and now i know why so there's a gentleman he lives in michigan his name is tom whitmire and he was on my podcast maybe about a month or so ago just before i met you actually Mm-hmm. And um, he talked about what's really happening in the delivery room, which actually dovetails into what we're talking about today, because that's where it all starts in terms of how we get sucked into a belief system that's not really ours to begin with. And um, so... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real thing. So if you're, if you're really interested in understanding why you are where you are today, <laughs> watch. um, uh, the, I think it's like the truth about pregnancies or something. Um, so by the way, oh, in a new tab, I, am, <laughs> I guess I need to ed- edit that. Hold on. <laughs> So if you guys are uh, as excited to uh, connect with Dr. Kevin Mays um, as I am, you know, this is how you get in touch with him. So, um, so, oh, and we can put in the phone number, it looks like, too. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, I think that if we can find, and this is not, by the way, I just before I say this, I want to tell you that once you find it, you're refinding it every day, <laughs> which is the balance, because we have to, I think, choose, uh, we have to prioritize, right, what we need to do each day, and each day looks uniquely different. Um, but what I would love for you to speak about is how do people create conscious leaders in the workplace. What does that really look like? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I want to just throw out some pain points that I see, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, some pain points that I see are um, people are checked out. They are afraid to make a decision without the approval of a superior or supervisor. And as a result, their clients or their customers suffer. Have you seen that? 
and really oh, absolutely absolutely so in my mind i love it you described the symptoms of something larger right it's a cultural issue people are checked out or they're afraid to make decisions and there's something going on in the culture of that organization um, that that perpetuates that so and so often though as leaders what we want to do is see the individual who's checked out and think that they're the issue they're not without recognizing that the symptom of another issue and that's what i love it for me conscious leadership starts with the premise that before you can lead others you have to lead yourself yes and so it's all about developing presence awareness intention and vision in individuals starting with the individuals around the leadership table helping them interrupt those patterns helping them overcome the beliefs that are driving driving behaviors the autopilot behaviors those beliefs that allow them to be right consistently especially when there's a group of individuals who are who are executives for a, an organization they're good at thinking cognitively and being right and then there's a group think that happens and they don't see the huge blind spot they don't see the bias in their thinking and then they can easily perpetuate a culture where others feel disenfranchised they feel like they're not valued they're not heard they're not listened to and engagement goes down and leaders think the individual who engaged again as we said earlier is the issue and the reality is the work of conscious leadership is to learn how to turn your uh, your attention from the external world inward you know we spend our whole lives educating ourselves it feels like you know we go to all of our school and our college is learning to master the world around us and not to master the world within us and for me leadership is the most spiritual discipline there is because it's about gaining self-mastery first self-mastery so you can lead your thinking your feeling and your behaving with intention you can have a result with intention and then you can use yourself as a vehicle to help others be better that for me that's the work that's the work i love when you see individuals start to recognize that you can't change others but when you change yourself the way others experience you uh, experience you begins to change and that begins to change them right it's a trickle down effect yeah yes and it's so many times where individuals get frustrated at what the other person isn't doing and so then what happens that frustration becomes in charge i, I think of it as the caveman part of them the caveman brain takes over and they start to go into this mode where they get short condescending they get uh, they raise their voice or they just shut down they play it's a little bit like when they raise their voice and speak slowly like you're mm-hmm. like a caveman mm-hmm. like like i ever used another language and that's mm-hmm. really yes. not working yes 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 um, so I, it's so energy right yeah and it starts with us if we show up differently huh the other responds differently so more important in my mind than trying to get others to do something it's about us having that self-mastery and then recognizing our role in the dynamic that plays out and having mastery in creating that healthy dynamic then it invites people to put down their constraints to put down their beliefs to put down their resistance and to align at a higher level to build that kind of rapport that brings out the best that is a game changer that's how the best industries uh the best uh, organizations in their industries do it i love watching it companies yeah i mean so when you develop these relationships 
rooted in trust. That rapport that you're talking about, mm -hmm. right? Where you start to understand how someone else thinks. Right? And yeah. that gives you the psychological safety to make that decision because you're like, I understand, I understand my boss, Dr. Kevin Mays. I know what he thinks. I know, we've talked about these kinds of things before. He's going to support this. And if you have to tweak it, right, then you tweak mm -hmm. it and you know you're not getting fired. It's just a lesson. And we can take out the element of fear because most people are running fear-based, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how do we, how do, how do you teach someone to start from heart? Because that's a big, I think that's a big part of it, like leading from your heart versus your head. Well, is I don't think it's... awareness piece? Is it that well, Absolutely. And for me, it's not one or the other, mm -hmm. but recognizing that we have multiple points of wisdom we can access. And a lot of folks are super good. At, they've been trained their whole life to be hypercognitive. It doesn't mean they don't have stuff that's going on in the rest of their body. They're just unaware of it. So the work is, in my mind, learning how to control your attention and to move it inward beyond just the narrative in your head, but then to be able to experience yourself. And I, you know, I grew up in the world where if you wanted something, if you're going to cry, you'd be given something to cry about, right? <laughs> uh, oh, point. my. I forgot about that. Cause we're about, I think, I don't know if you're my, I'm 60. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know a if you're shy of that. Sure. Okay. So, and, um, yeah, I remember that phrase. Thank you for the reminder. Yeah. Well, it's a paradigm, right? And our, our fathers wanted us to be strong and bold and, you know, be, be tough. And, and that's great. But in doing so, we learn to become unaware. And it's really a learned behavior, become unaware of certain parts of ourselves. So I never even knew it was possible. You know, people talk about emotional awareness. What is, uh, what is that? Emotion is such a nebulous thing to me. But what I realized I, you can be aware of is the actual physiological sensations in your body. You can open up. Your mind is always aware of what's going on physiologically. And when you start to tune into that, that a doorway opened in me that I never knew was possible, that I started to enter into this realm of deeper awareness of my unconscious mind where my emotions lie and it's not this it's not this nebulous thing it's a very concrete thing you can actually experience it in the moment and then from that point to notice how in those moments when the emotion is, is swelling or powerful the emotion starts to make the decision not the higher self and not the behavior not the, the pattern in my thinking so it's just understanding what part of me is started yeah, there's thinking, there's feeling, and there's not one that's better. I've seen people make heartfelt decisions that are horrible decisions for them and for everybody involved. It's, there's just an ingrained pattern of behavior that, uh, and thinking and feeling that all get mushed together. Like how do you pull yourself out of that and make decisions that are truly aligned? Well, it's a great question. How do you teach people to do that? <clears throat> well, it starts with awareness. Yeah. Right. That's the first step. And, you know, it's interesting. If you think about, I've talked to too many people who would do things if they didn't have fear, you know, like to say what fear, public speaking is the biggest thing. They don't do it because of the fear. And from my vantage point, it's not about not having the emotion. It's about 
allowing yourself to do it regardless of how it feels. Yes. And that's a skill set. That's a huge skill set. Mm-hmm. And so what I teach people, um, and, and, and this might be foreign to some, is learning how to be the observer so that you can take, you can still have your feelings, but you take up what I would call the triggered emotion, right? And how I was able to learn this is I had done a past life regression. And um, I guess I'll just let the cat out of the bag. So I believe in past lives, right? (laughs) And it it had come to me that in my past, I was Joan of Arc. A part of me, not the whole part, the whole of me, but part of me, part of my soul was Joan of Arc. And so I had this consciousness of really like a being uh, burned at the stake. And so when they put me under, I could see myself as an observer, so I'm not feeling the pain, of being burned at the stake. And then I looked at the people who were burning me. They had the fear. And they were in more pain than Joan, who was being burned at the stake. Because they were so fearful, because they knew that they were doing something that was out of alignment with, like, God and higher self and all of that. And, and I could throw grace on that, that they're actually suffering more than me. Because once my body's gone, I'm just my spiritual being. And so I took that experience of the past life aggression and being the observer and started teaching people, well, step out of the situation look at it as an observer and now what do you think right is that person really intentionally doing this are they on autopilot you know what can we do to bring some consciousness and awareness and you don't have to be mad at them so you take out that anger and trigger element because we don't have to be mad because it's just a learned behavior that needs to be unlearned and then and then you don't take things personally i think when i I was speaking to you, I'm not sure if I shared that with you in in Chicago or Rosemont, Illinois. I'm sure you've read the book, The Four Agreements, right? Or with Don Miguel Ruiz. And the second agreement is don't take things personally. And I sucked at that. Like, really did. And I still do, to a degree. (laughs) Everybody does. We take the world personally because we are incarnated in our human form and it becomes a very personal world. We're attached to our ideas and our perspective and our self-concept and our worldview. And that is such a profound agreement to not take the world personally. And it's so much bigger and deeper than, than you would think at first blush. It is oh, the core yeah. of all of it. And uh, being able to achieve that uh, objective observer space to watch yourself objectively, it's almost like to extricate yourself from yourself to, to watch yourself like you're watching a movie is so profound not to be disassociated necessarily but to, you can still care but to be detached in a way that allows you to see things more clearly as they are we well it's removing the trigger right dr kevin mm-hmm. it's really just removing the trigger you care 
you're just not triggered, so you don't go into autopilot mm-hmm. and and say something that you may regret. And I like something you said earlier. You don't have to be angry or frustrated. And anger and frustration usually harm one person the most, and that is the person who's carrying it. So I can, you know, I love it. I can be angry about something somebody did 10 years ago, and I'm carrying a grudge. And how much of my energy, my life force is going into carrying this grudge for 10 years, and they don't even know about it. They're gone. They have nothing to do with it. I'm the one who's miserable. So I love it. The first step is like, how do we, how do we undo our own misery? How do we step out of our own suffering and our own pain and learn to just live in alignment with a deeper purpose? So I'm so with you on that. So there was a man, um, and it's on my YouTube videos, um, and he was on his deathbed. And um, he was in a wheelchair, and he was on oxygen, and they uh, put him into hospice. And, um, you know, he's on video, so it's Michael Murphy Burke. I can use his name. And he was rolled into the church. And um, it was on my birthday um, a year ago. So a year and two weeks ago. And I was told by spirit to um, remove my birthday from social media so that no attention would be given to me and that we would divert all the attention onto him. And he was rolled into the church, and I didn't know what I would be getting because I'm told at that point in time what I'm doing, but I followed what I was told to do. And we led probably about a thousand different healers from around the world. Some piped in on Zoom, some just came in energetically, some came into the church. And what was what I was called to lead on was forgiveness mm. and forgiving ourselves first. Just what you were saying. Because forgiveness will show up as a cancer or heart failure. I mean, excuse me, lack of forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. will show up as cancer, uh, heart failure. I think... Um, you know, depending on your DNA, will decide how that meant, how that will actually show up. But when we can, at a soul level, really forgive ourselves for our own indiscretions and understand, really, there was really nothing even to forgive to begin with, that we're just learning, we're lessons, it's earth school. And, you know, and then, you know, we learned, right, Dr. Kevin, about Honopono, right? Was that the first time you had learned Honopono, by the way? Or yeah. It was. So I learned Honopono uh, a couple, well, many years ago um, through some mentors of mine, right? And you want to explain it or Honopono? No, go ahead. You're, I'd, I'd love to hear your take. <laughs> well, I mean, basically, I mean, it's a Hawaiian uh, chant, a love song, right? Um, and I never really always remember, quite frankly, the exact words, but you can look it up on YouTube and listen to it. Um, and you also could, I'm sure Dr. Uh, Dr. Matt 
um, from NLP.com Empowerment Incorporated probably has a video, but it's about asking for forgiveness from, from not only, you know, the person that you may or may not have harmed, um, but forgiving yourself and, and sending, you know, giving out love, right, to, to them and to the universe, right? I'm sorry, please forgive me, I love you. And um, and it, and just that energy, even I when I just said that, I felt this uh, tingling sensation over my body. And look, your last mishap, we'll call it, or hiccup, doesn't define you, does it, Dr. Kevin? Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that's really what it's about, in my opinion, that we can make, we can have mishaps, we can have hiccups, and I won't use the word mistake, because it's not, it's a lesson, and it doesn't define us, and we can move forward. When we believe it defines us, we don't move forward. Thank you. So, would you share some experiences that you've had where you've had some great successes, and then it looks like we um, have some questions or maybe we Actually, we have a question from Charles sure. from San Diego. It says, how does someone's EQ play into their role as a leader in organizational development? Great question, Charles. Go ahead. I'll let you answer that, Doctor. Well, I love it. So. EQ, I think about somebody's um, emotional intelligence and how that was such a, a rallying cry for quite a while. And now we recognize there's so many different forms of intelligence. It's not just emotional. There's so many different ways and complexities to how we show up in the world. Now, that being said, I've seen, I use the EQ, I see folks who the score they get, if it's low, it suggests they just don't have as much self-awareness in how they move through the world. So I think it absolutely does play out. I don't know through the lens of the assessment. I mean, I'm continually, I, again, I use it, I'm continually uh, leaning into it to really see what the correlation is. But I'll say this, the more awareness you have, my experience is the greater the likelihood you're going to behave with intention. And that awareness is really like shining a flashlight into our, into our blind spot, into our unconscious mind. And there's a host of patterns and ghosts back there. And we're not trying to necessarily get rid of all of it, but if you can stand in the fire without, without letting it own you, if you can see what your patterns are, your self-limiting beliefs that you carry, once you have awareness of those, you're in a position of choice in not letting it dictate and drive your behavior. So for me, that's the real work. I love that. EQ, the role it plays is, yeah, the more awareness, the greater the likelihood of choice. Awareness, with awareness comes a duty, a duty to be more intentional, more purposeful, and aligned. And uh, that's the beautiful thing for me. It's all about alignment. Because without alignment, we're just going to keep playing the same pattern we've always played out and have an airtight logic that says this is the right thing to do. We're going to know that we're right. I'm good at knowing I'm right. Ask my wife. I can tell her all the time how right I am. It gets me nowhere. It's not aligned with my purpose and my relationship with her. 
when I talk about so, Emily, I'm so glad you brought this up because I think it's so key. Yeah, you are right in some respect. But if your wife is not receiving it in the way that you're intending, the bottom line is if you want relationship with your wife, you have to pivot. And, that, and then copy-paste that concept to anybody else. Go to work. If your if you're, you know, peer is not receiving the information as you intend, you can't say, well, I didn't mean it that way. I tried to do it this way. It kind of doesn't matter. What matters is what the perception is. And so if, and, and you know, um, I'm, are you trained in DISC? Yeah, me, okay. So I studied DISC for, I don't know, probably six or seven years. And so um, we have, so for those who don't know what DISC is, uh, do you want to explain DISC? Go ahead. I mean, the DIS. Well, yeah, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's all there's many, many tools that have four basic quadrants to understand how we play out these key archetypal properties. You can be a driver, which means uh, your natural tendency is to, move forward into things versus an influencer, somebody who naturally builds relationships and moves through the world that way. There are steady folks and there are, uh, what is the C? Uh, uh, I always, I always intermix the words with words that aren't the official. The C is conscientious. You have the detail oriented folks, the consistent conscientious folks on the other end of that spectrum. So that's why I never remember it. <laughs> but it's really just a great way of understanding what is that patterning? how we move through the world. And you'll see, for example, uh, strong D's are going, take no prisoners, go and make a decision, move it forward. And that can work beautifully for them. And it might work beautifully for others who think that way in their organization. But when you, when you enact that pattern as a driver, that's my natural uh, predisposition. That's the way I move through the world. If I do that with somebody who might be a strong C, who's more steady and more, uh, more, consistent, more methodical. Those are your accountants, by the way. Yeah, right? absolutely. I might blast them out of the water. They react to, to the way they're perceiving me. They think I'm, I'm uh, steamrolling. I'm not listening to them. I don't care about them. They end up shutting down for safety, psychological safety. They personalize my behavior as something about them. I see in my worldview them withdrawing, and I think they're the problem. Right. So it's just another way of understanding these dynamics that we play. And, and uh, the, the warning area, I've seen folks say, well, I'm just a diva. No, no, no. Mm. With awareness comes the duty to be more intentional and more purposeful. And it goes back to what's, what's the result you want. I, I take it back to vision. What's your vision? Who do you want to be? How do you want to show up? What impact do you want to have? Regardless of what your beliefs are and your drives are, you must align. You must step outside of those. This is why it's so important to take off the blinders, expand your comfort zone, and do things that may be really uncomfortable in pursuit of the result that's aligned with your vision. Right. And so I want to do a yes and to that, right? Mm -hmm. So when, like, I'm a high D, but I'm also a high I and above the line S and above the line C. And the reason I'm about the line S and C is because I started my career in finance, <laughs> right? So um, 
And actually, a debate, I mean, really, if you want to go back to high school, I was filing checks with, uh, as a 14-year-old at the bank and balancing the checkbooks for our clients at 14 and 15. So what am I learning? Be very steady, be very conscientious, you know, make sure you're, you know, um, you know, crossing every T, dotting every I. And what's the most important thing that Maureen Oker taught me, my very first boss, know when to draw a line in the sand or in the checkbook. Don't go searching for that penny. If it doesn't balance by a penny, strike a balance. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the most important lesson I've ever learned because it wasn't just about the checkbook, was it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen strong C's who will get so caught, or I think in terms of Myers-Briggs as well, the strong C's. Yeah. You can get so driven down into the details, and their decision-making doesn't happen because they just want more data and more data and more data. And the perception from others outside of that strong sensing community is that they have their head in the sand or they're, they're stalling in making decisions and overwhelming the system with data. At some point, enough is enough. How do you know when enough is enough and then make the decision to move forward? Yeah, analysis paralysis. Is that too <laughs> the hard thing is, though, again, we'll create an airtight logic that will support us in perpetuating that pattern. Well, no, we're right. I just need more data. I can show you. Here, once we get more data, and they'll always have a logic. And this is the hard thing, to be able to understand that lens of the logical lens that we create and realize, no, there is enough. And that's the hard, that's there for us. That's where the comfort zone ends, right? When you step out of the comfort zone to make a decision, maybe not having all the data. Or for somebody who's a strong, intuitive, big picture, be able to slow down and make sure they have all the information needed before just looking at one data point projecting three months into the future. Well, and so I am an intuitive right? Mm -hmm. And a very strong intuitive. And the the very first lesson I got early on was, yes, um, trust your intuitive skills and balance that with some facts. Because yes, it may be a good idea. What's the timing on that good idea? Is Mm -hmm. it a now or is it a year from now? Mm-hmm. Or is it two years from now? Mm-hmm. And so we're not, I'm not suggesting at all not to trust your gut or your intuition. I am an intuitive. I mean, like people call me for this. And um, so, and you have to look at things that support that intuition. I work with a lot of doctors because I'm all, one of my gifts is as a medical intuitive. So I can't just say, you know, fill in the blank, this is what you have. I could say, this is what I hear you have. I want you to go to a doctor and get tested for that. Or I create a frequency or what have you, I create frequencies that heal, help the body heal itself. Um, so you need evidence of that. You can't just say it works but you get your download or your intuition from god and then you find the evidence that supports it like i would say hey i think this will help with inflammation you know look it up find a doctor or whatever you know we oh this is where this is taking 
this conversation. We work in community. And as much as we try to work on solo, solo is for self-awareness, in my opinion. And then you take that self-awareness and you work in community to help the entire community rise up in their country. Well, I love it in my terms. I think of it in you know, my work is in terms of teams. Mm-hmm. So I think about working with executive teams that run organizations. The individuals around the table all have a different paradigm they show up at the table with in different ways that they will make decisions and understand the world around them. So that's the beautiful thing is to leverage the wisdom of the team through decision making. And it'll require well, when teams don't do that intentionally, it starts to pull apart the fabric of the team. Then we'll start to have the, the silos will happen, the internal friction will happen, you'll have dysfunctional teams. When you have individuals, as you said, who do the individuals do the work, and then they show up together and they can then own their own bias, own their own preferences, and, and understand how their paradigm shows up, how they look at the world, and it understands different from others, then they can move methodically through a process that leverages everyone's wisdom and ends up and allows the team to end up in a place of real, uh, powerful, positive decision-making. Oh, yeah, all day. Mm-hmm. You know, Charles here, Charles Key, he says, you mentioned blind spots when you're becoming self-aware. How does a leader discover their own blind spots? Thank you, Charles. Great question. Yeah, that is a good question. I know one of the things that, that I use is a 360 tool. So Love the 360 tool. Yeah. That, thing, that thing saved my life when I was like 29 years old. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's fantastic to get a window into the world of others' perspectives. So when I work with executives, the first thing I do is a deep reflection through some, some leadership models, but it's really models of self and personality to understand how they show up, to understand those core drives that they programmed into their, into their mind in the first three years, five years, 10 years of their life, and to see how they're playing out today, right? I think of it as their success drivers. It's the brain, cognitive framework they've created. So understand that, understanding that from the inside out. And then I love to put a layer on top of that, a disc or a Myers-Briggs or a Hogan assessment to see how the two aligns. Out of that, then, to be able to forecast, if this is your personality as you understand it from the inside out, and this is what the assessment says, what do you think others would, how do others see that thing we call your personality? And then we'll cast the 360 assessment, get 20 folks to fill it out, and it's eye-opening to see the alignment that'll happen there. But it really, and for some folks, it's, it's interesting. I work with a lot of type A leaders who are really good at what they do, and they'll get really positive responses on their 360. I've got one right in front of me. There's reams of data. Uh, they get positive responses, but what do they do? They go right to the one little issue that somebody says, oh, you might do this differently, and they'll obsess on it because they're perfectionists. There's the pattern. Ah, the pattern of perfectionism is great unless – it looks like an individual who doesn't delegate and wants everything done themselves and nothing's ever good enough. Then you create this environment that people feel um, less empowered. Yeah, so, right? Yeah. So, so the is powerful. I used to work with a, a few people, I mean, just with my own company. And this is so minor, but I think it relates because I have a lot of you know, people who are self-employed, small business owners, right? Mm-hmm as well as large business owners, but 
<laughs> but in a way, we're all small business owners when we're running an event. We got our own little pod going on at that time. And I remember, this is years ago. They wanted my approval of how we set up the table. I'm like, really? <laughs> Go do you. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But they wanted my approval. And I'm like, you know, I didn't know what to do. Like, I was kind of like stuck. Because I'm like, how, uh, you know, it didn't even occur to me that you need approval on how you're setting up the table. Like, at a, at a trade show. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like, how can you do it wrong? If there's something really bad, you can just kind of move it. But do you. Do you, boo, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then... And so, well, no, I love it. I, I would wonder, with something like that, like, what kind of patterns does that individual pick up? I, I love studying birth order. And you'll watch traditionally, you know, the youngest children are good at being led. And they will have more confidence with direction. So now you put a person who grew up and they were the youngest and they were always told what to do and that became the imprint and that became their cognitive narrative that plays out 30 years later setting up a conference table wanting to make sure they have your approval and your right. So in ways, those patterns are getting in the way. Well, that's really cool. Uh, It's interesting, and I don't know a lot about, you know, how birth order, that's just not something I've ever really studied or looked at. But it, um, and I can see where, you know, um, the oldest would want to lead all the time. But I was number four out of five. And I was always, I mean, the phrase I think out of the womb was, I'll do it myself. <laughs> you know? And they're all like, okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It was running solo from day one. So I want to show a screen because, you know, Charles is asking, you know, how does a leader discover their own blind spots? You've answered that, in, you know, with the 360. I want to share one other thing. And uh, I'm going to do the best I can to show without, like, uh, let's see if we can do this. So this is the DKDK zone. Mm-hmm. How you shift your mindset, you know, the small part of the pie. Can we see that on the screen? Because I, I, I'm not in the screen right now. I can see it. Yeah. Okay, great. And so the small part of the pie is, you know, what you know that you know. Like, you know, like for me, I know I'm a female. You know, there's no question. I have, um, you know, a white shirt on. No question. And then there's the other part of the pie where you know that you don't know. So like I know I'm not an airline pilot, but you are, right? And then the third part, which is a huge piece of the pie, is where we shift our mindset that you don't know that you don't know. And if we can sit in the DKDK zone in our life, meaning having an open mind and really, uh, um, you know, allowing ourselves to um, not make assumptions based upon our past. Um, Which is a tough, that's a tall order. How do you not make assumptions based on your past? I mean, we, make, we live in the world of assumptions. That's I'm the hard. I'm tell you how I do it. Yeah. Okay, so this weekend I spent three days with the Association of Natural Health training on 
so many different technologies, mostly frequency, healing, and nutrition, which is my bailiwick. So I was in a happy place. Mm-hmm. And one of the doctors got up there, and she's telling me, telling us all about food sensitivities. When I test for food sensitivities, I'm testing 450 different foods, and she's doing 250. And I'm thinking immediately, that's not good enough, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, Jody, this woman's brilliant. Put yourself in the DKDK zone. So I first went into judgment. I went into assumptions. I um, didn't take it personally. And then I caught myself. So my my suggestion, catch yourself. It's okay to, to do what you do, to go on autopilot for a second. Catch yourself, pivot, put yourself back into the DKDK zone. What am I here supposed to learn? And then you can choose whether or not you want to take it up. Mm-hmm. You don't have to take it on, but you can choose to learn it and understand it from their shoes. And she had brilliant, a brilliant way of looking at this. And I don't even remember, it's called the phallic, I think that they call it, the phallic. So each plant has a terpene profile, like multiple terpenes that make up a plant. And, you know, for food, that's a, a different word. And what they're looking at is if that terpene or phallic is in that food it's also in these other 10 foods so you actually don't have to test for it you just don't eat those foods that have that terpene or phallic i'm like score mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. <laughs> i love it and, you know, for me it comes back to i think of one word and that is curiosity being able to be in that place of curiosity and, you know having the openness and just be curious we lose that somehow. We lose it in our knowing, our consistency. We lose that curious, open mind. Why? Why do you think we lose that curiosity? Well, I don't I, know. I, I never even asked that question. I don't even have an answer for it, quite frankly. It's, it's interesting to me in our culture. We, we are taught to be curious until our education ends, right? We, we like educate ourselves. Okay, we're 22. Now we're done. Go live your life. And learning somehow stops. That's our paradigm. As opposed to this lifelong learning, lifelong curiosity. Some people do it, right? I find some folks who become entrenched and engaged and attached to their cognitive worldview and curiosity withers. And then you find them more and more rigid in their, in their older years, right? They become the cantankerous old SOB. And then you find folks who have that curiosity that seem to age more into grace. And they have this openness and this this energetic quality, this youthful vitality, even when they're 85 years old. And it's a really interesting pathway that we we can take. We can make a choice to take one or the other. But I don't know if most folks recognize they, that it is a choice. I think you're right. I think that people don't recognize that they have choices. In the last few years, I think that the world has said, hey, you're limited on your choice because the word mandate has been used way too often. I hate that word. Actually, what do you think about the word mandate in the, in the context of work? Mandatory mandate. High vibration, low vibration? Should we oh, I love it. it. I, I think it's, it's brilliant in its use of authority so we talked about 
birth order for me, you know, and one of my favorite authors, Irving Yalom, is a Stanford psychologist and talks a lot about uh, the language he would say, the jargon. We recapitulate the family of origin in our work environment. So what happens? We, we show up with this, we show up with an imprint of how to be in the world. I'm the youngest child. I've learned the rules don't apply. I'm not a traditional follower. I'm the guy who's going to go out and carve my own path. Very, very different than my oldest sibling who did everything according to the book, the way you're supposed to cross the T's, dot the I's. I mean, it was like the manifestation of the, the ideal child. You know, they play, she played that role. I played this role. And so now you show up at work and you have people saying there's a mandate. Well, what you're doing is using your authority uh, as a paternal or maternal figure to say this is what you're going to do. So it's going to enact, without exception, enact people's uh, authority issues. Some people will totally say yes, but for me what it comes down to is engagement. Does it work in getting people to behave the way you need them to behave? And I've seen a lot of people, when they say there's a mandate, they say, screw you. They put their foot in the ground, and maybe, or maybe they do the thing, but then somewhere else, the energy comes out. Right. right. Or they start looking for a new job, and that's oh. where you get that high ter- employee turnover. Mm-hmm. So I'll do it today for you so I can get pay- get my paycheck on Friday. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, here's my two-week notice. I love it in banking. There was a, a mandate that... Folks who worked on the line, tellers, had to uh, sign up individuals for credit cards that came through. Oh, I remember that. Remember what happened? Everybody I, I don't remember what happened. I, mean, I remember them asking, and what I what I got was that tellers were process oriented, not they were they were C's, not I's, right? High C's, not high I's, meaning they were very conscientious, making sure they count the money, and then they were asking them to be high eyes influencers and they're like i don't know what to do with that <laughs> well what right? they did with it what they did with it was filled out a bunch of applications and gave people credit cards but never talked to them about it to the extent of thousands of people in one particular organization and the whole thing then i mean it it went all the way back to the top of the organization and the executive team was, was very clear we never asked them to do this no you did set them up use you know with authority to say here's what's expected and they just were loyal and they said okay but they didn't actually follow through they just filled out their uh, was that Wells Fargo? or was that another bank i believe it was i believe it was wells Fargo. yeah i used to work at their um i used to work at norwest bank mm. uh launched the debit card program for the united states with them um uh before they became wells fargo and mm-hmm. i i can see that happening the whole system shook because of the blindness that happens. Hey, well, just tell them, here's what you're going to do. And I love, I worked in banking quite a while. You know, the, the the preference and the blind spot of folks in that industry can often be they're myopically focused on the singular, and they don't see the impact. They don't see the big picture. They don't see the impact. They're logical. They get stuff done. They see the details. And so they had everything lined up. Here's what we're going to ask them to do. And they miss the impact hugely. And the impact shook the organization. So I didn't know you had a banking background. So let, let, let's play for a minute, shall we? Mm-hmm. So we launched the debit card program for the United States. Chase Bank is doing it for the United States, you know, in their in their space, right? And mm-hmm. um, and um, <laughs> sorry. So in banking, 
we obviously have our own database and we have up-to-date information because, you know, <laughs> your checking account, whatever. And it's not, it's not like any other industry where you're having to make sure that you have up-to-date data, right? Because people are making sure that your, your data is up-to-date. And so we decide that we're going to issue everyone their debit card. Now, to remind you, that debit card has either the MasterCard or Visa symbol on the front. And so people, you know, they're doing them. They're in their world. They are uh, not really paying attention to all the details. And they're like, oh, cool. I've got a new credit card. And so they don't realize it's coming out of their checking account. Now, the agreement that they're making, which they don't even they're unconsciously making because they haven't read the details and we haven't done a good job at making sure that they know these details, right? Mm -hmm. um, is that if they overdraw the account, okay, um, they pay that $35 overdraft fee. So, and let's get really specific. If you're using your debit card for groceries or gas, it automatically gets approved because you can't be out without groceries or gas as if the person has no other way to meet pay for a take a gas or a bag of groceries. And so these overdrafts are like over the flipping top. I mean like over the top. And um, Chase Bank had done something that was crazy where that you couldn't go to the teller line. <laughs> to get money if you had because you had an ATM card. And I mean the anger around that from the, from the community was like oh, I mean over the top. Now the good thing is is they learned from their lessons. So by you know years later when you got your debit card they had a little checkbox saying you understand you opt in or opt out of overdraft protection with your debit card, right? Now I don't even use mm -hmm. Because <laughs> I don't want anything tied to my checking account, just say. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, this, this is the fun thing. Yeah. No, no, I was going to say, this is, for me, the fun thing I love working with, with leadership teams is helping them learn how to make decisions that consider the impact, the hidden impact, before they get into a train wreck. I've seen that in banking so many times. They all come together. There is this clear, pristine logic they utilize to, to deploy their bank card. And what do they find out? Then afterwards, they find out all of these impacts they didn't consider. And that's something that individuals and organizations can train to do, can learn how to do it differently. And to understand that there is all of this part the, the DKDK, but they don't know that they don't know, is huge and it's impacting and undermining the success of organizations. Yeah. Brilliant example. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and um, I would say Charles, uh, yeah, so Charles says, I just closed mm -hmm. my bank account with Tory Pines Bank because of excessive uh, fees incurred by overdrafts. Well, and there is actually a law, well, there was at one time, I'm not in the space, where you could, um, there was a maximum amount that you could charge someone for being in a consistent overdraft. But really, for me, it was about the lack of transparency around the use of the card and 
we were in the DKDK zone. We had no clue. We didn't even think to ask. Um, and I think to your point, Kevin, you can go in and teach them. And if you really don't know, you bring in a focus group, right, to find out what other people are thinking because that's where the brilliance happens. That's where the change happens. That's where the insight happens, right? Yeah. How would you do that? I mean, don't you think you could do that um, even if you didn't want to go outside the, let's say in this case, the bank mm-hmm. and get a focus group? Uh, have you worked in corporations to do focus groups inside the corporation to shift mindset? Um, and what does that look like? Well, you know, and even I'm thinking about banking and it attracts a particular type of individual. So they're often very left brained and Myers Briggs, I think of them as thinkers. They're sensing, they're thinkers, they're detail oriented, they get stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. Which is great. So being able to help them understand that what they're missing is that big picture, which is to me about vision and uh, the feeler quality, which is about understanding the human impact. So to be able to help them around the table, when I see an executive leadership team that is 100% thinkers, know that they must confer with someone who has a different paradigm. Someone who, or else, if they don't, they're going to find the hard way. They're going to find out the hard way, the impact of their decisions. I've seen organizations do everything from, from uh, having work days on holidays, that they undervalued the holiday, thinking it was marginal, and they, they set it up. They said, everybody's going to show up, doesn't matter that it's this holiday, and it created this huge backlash across the organization. What they do, they double down, say it doesn't matter, that's just the way it's going to be, and then they get people jumping ship, and they, they totally obliterate morale, and you can't understand that it's them. Ah, it's them. So, Crash, you bring up a great point. Uh, and I want to do a deeper dive on that. So, so number one, not recognizing Sunday's their day off or that they celebrate Christmas or they celebrate Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, right? And mm-hmm. not honoring that. That's mm-hmm. number one. Number two. Well, and I'll even go even further. Some really things that would, for me, I may almost feel marginal. Well, I grew up in Michigan where we celebrated Labor Day. Every year it was the... Uh, you know, we had Memorial Day and Labor Day, the start and the end of summer. When I moved to North Carolina, it blew me away. They didn't celebrate Labor Day. It didn't even make sense because it was such a pivotal part of our cultural rhythm in Michigan. Yes. Down there, it wasn't. And to see how that, I mean, just that, those kinds of things, you don't even know what you don't know. You don't know this is important or done, some, done different somewhere else. Those kinds, so you make decisions based on what you don't even see or know. And sometimes can step right in the middle of it. Yeah, and and so if you really want to serve your current population, I think it's important to do an assessment of that population at least once a year, quite frankly, um, to see where people are at. Mm-hmm. And this one organization that I'm thinking about in particular, um, yeah, I mean, their employees work um, – whatever the normal eight eight to five or nine to five. Mm-hmm. But their their sales team is required to work, let's say, an extra hour or two to make outbound calls on a certain day. Mm-hmm. Well, 
personal growth. Mm-hmm. And when you don't, or then they also have to work weekends. Mm-hmm. And so where are the boundaries? Where are the healthy boundaries that someone can, oh, and they have to be on call. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So where, so here are my questions. Where are the healthy boundaries? When are we going to understand that unplugging completely from work is the greatest gift, not only that you can give your employees, but that you can also give back to your own company because they come back refreshed. Go for that. I love it. It's a shifting paradigm, right? Gone are the days of loyalty to the organization because you can get your, you can get your pension. And, you know, you'll have this reoccurring yes. revenue when you retire. But that's still the mindset of, a lo- you know, a lot of America. Mm-hmm. So you have this, and this thus, I think, breeds the mindset. Because the new generation doesn't see that or know that. And they realize you have to take care of yourself. The organization is not looking out for you. So they take care of themselves and recognize that this the boundaries you're talking about are essential. It's not about just sacrificing your life for the good of the corporation. That's the old model, the old paradigm. It's so not exactly. So I love it. Now you see leaders saying, mature, seasoned leaders, old folks, saying, you know, hey, the new generation, they don't want to work, they're lazy. They have all of these ideas about folks who have a different value sets. And the reality is, what I see is it's just bad leadership. It's leadership that isn't adaptable and adjustable and flexible to understand that corporations aren't the end all and be all anymore in the mind of the individual. I guess I might have worked for GM for 34 years. That's what you did. Well, I mean, think about Kodak. Kodak was like the major film, right? And they uh, they learned about digital and said, uh, that's never going to happen. Bye-bye. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so... GM went bankrupt. Biggest company in the world. Biggest corporation on planet Earth. Bankrupt. Why? Because they couldn't adapt. They couldn't, they couldn't flex. They became static in the way they did things and who made the decisions. I love it. When you look at the kind of the paradigm of authority that manifests in, in GM, the ivory tower MBAs made the decision for how things were happening down on the front line. How would they know? And so, and then you put the union in that would create too many boundaries. That I remember my dad telling me that, you know, he would go in and do a job. He worked on still trades. He would fix a machine, but wasn't allowed to clean up after himself. That was somebody else's job. That's you. Is that a positive or a negative? Well, it's a double-edged sword, right? They did it to protect people's jobs. <clears throat> but it became it becomes too rigid. And the rigidity in the worldview and the way we attach ourselves to the idea of how an organization should run, what leadership should look like, how teams should function, the, the rigidity, and I love it because this goes all the way back to Aristotle and Socrates talking about, you know, wondering if the world is a static place or a dynamic place and how do you engage depending on your worldview. But I can tell you this, the more you attach yourself to ideas about how you think things should be, the more I see people suffer, the more I see organizations falter, the more I see teams that don't, that don't uh, function at the highest level. So you made 
well, you show me great points, but that last one is so spot on. When we are committed to how things we think things should be, and we don't choose to do an inquiry, a self-assessment, a corporate assessment, where are, where are we, where are we going? And instead you choose to be committed to your to your old paradigm or whatever your current paradigm, mm-hmm. that's a recipe for disaster. Well, it's a great way of understanding their current political environment. Now it's not about logic, right? It's about team. It's, a, it's emotionally based, who are my team, or it's resistance against. It's a lot of resistance against and not adjoining with. And I look at it more energetically and dynamically than, than content. It's more about the process of how humans relate to a larger whole and how they find their value within a system. Well, the other thing that I want to bring up, because you've mentioned it a couple of times, is you said you're talking about the energy, right? Mm-hmm. And what one of the things that I hear about often, the energy behind what we do, the energy behind our words, um, the energy uh, that we that we give. We could talk about how we give our power away. Like that would be mm-hmm. a thing to talk about. Um, but when we are telling people how to be, there's an energy around that and the energy is not good it's that of slavery it's that of like pharaoh being powered over and where we're going in this world with the consciousness is not that route we're not going that way that's in the past don't look back because you're not going that way move forward right find a new paradigm find something that works because um, energy behind telling someone to do is people will automatically resist. If you get their buy-in, and I know you can speak to this, I know you will, um, getting someone's buy-in on a concept and asking them questions that you already know the answer to, you think anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you should have an idea, right, about what that answer is going to be, but um, and be open to a different answer. But to get their buy-in and get their their information immediately engages them into the process, and they feel part of the team. <coughs> they take ownership. Yeah. I I love it. Now, one thing I'll challenge a little bit: sometimes telling people what to do is absolutely the right thing. Yes, it's called a, it's called a board, it's called a foundation. I, uh, and me, for me, it's more. I think of it in terms of: is it part of your style and what you naturally do, or is it a strategy that's going to help get the result you want? Now, a lot of us, if you're Type A and you're, you know, Mom always said you want it done right, you do it yourself, and you go in and you're the oldest child, and you you tell people what to do, and you crack the whip, and that's your your autopilot driver going to under, undermine your ability to get the result you want. If 
if, however, you recognize that's part of who you are, but you also know how to ask those questions that elicit and then you can provide direction when you need, and you can be present with folks, and you can mirror, and you can reflect, and you can ask open-ended solution-focused questions, and you get their buy-in, you get them to own the solution and the behavior they need to do moving forward, a lot more powerful. Yeah. But, to operate from a position of being strategic and helping them get better as opposed to just playing out, here's what I'm going to do and smashing something down the ground. Yeah, and so how, and also how I look at that is I have certain like, um, foundational agreements that I made, okay? Mm-hmm. So we have to have, like, like I'll give an example. Like I won't, I won't keep your pie in the sky. Number one, trans, be transparent. Be open in communication. If you're gonna, if we have a, a meeting at 9 a.m. and you're gonna be there at 9:10 or 9:05, just be in communication. Hey, I'm running five minutes late. I'm running 10 minutes late. That open communication. So take out the guesswork for people. Okay. Mm-hmm. These types of foundational agreements that provide psychological safety that you always know that that person's either gonna show up or they're going to communicate the, the new the change, or they're going to renegotiate the agreement, okay? And so if we, that's just like one example, but if you can have that, and even that foundation gives leeway for change, in a time, renegotiate agreement, and really if you have those foundations in place, you have trust, and you have people having upset, they're not worried whether or not you're going to show up, right? Is she going to show up to the event that we scheduled, right? You don't have that thought running in the background of your head. And I love it. Transparency and clear expectations and communicating along the way. It's so essential. What I find is when folks don't know what's going on in the mind of the other, they fill it with projections of fear. Yeah, and story. They, yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they project their own insecurity, their own fear, their own ghosts into that void. And so I love what you're saying, just filling that void by simply letting them know, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had five back-to-back appointments yesterday. Thank you, Divine Timing. Some people ran and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. But she, <laughs> and they let me know. So I, I feel... So, and the, and the gift of letting somebody know is that they've gotten out a permanent window and they can, like, shoot out that email, get that text message done, or whatever, that little thing that they really wanted to get done, and you are not waiting for that person and preparing, you're using your time and showing up for that thing, you know? Like, it really, it, also, it increases productivity, quite frankly, and psychological safety. What is the one thing that you want people to know that's your greatest gift that you bring to uh, either individuals, corporations, that you think is your greatest gift to help them rise up? Well, interesting. What do I want them to know about my greatest gift? I would, I would flip the table and say what I want them to know about their greatest gift is their greatest gift is, is a goal line. Potential, what I've seen within it. It is your greatest gift. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. That's, it's almost like smart out of my website, you know, like having people see the best version of who they are. Yeah. 
I don't know what my greatest gift is, but I know that I've seen so many people who, who move through the world with constraints, learn how to do it differently. And I think that that's, that's what my, my role is in life is to help people take steps on their path, to understand what their path is and to take steps. And I've seen potential of individuals absolutely increase exponentially to go from uh, this negative uh, self-talk that can happen and the self-limiting oh. beliefs and all of these emotions that anchor with those that, that keep them that keep them constrained and watch the individuals learn to peel those beliefs back and really rewire their their thinking rewire their brain at a core level when people do that it blows me away it blows my doors off and it gives me faith in humanity when I see the potential exercised in individuals I see them kind of over that hill and really like own their life and own their relationships and own their organizations and their businesses and and become industry leaders it's so it's so heartwarming to see that potential in people and that's i think the greatest gift out there is that for folks to recognize and understand that there is so much more potential that they don't see in this moment so and learn how to but feel that opportunity is helping other people to see their greatest gift mm, mm.
text or phone, which is best? Oh, text is great. Text, yeah. text is great. Phone is great. Uh, you know, these days we're more of a tech society. Yeah, it allows you to manage your time and lets us say yeah. a deeper conversation, right? Yeah, um, schedule a deeper conversation if it's needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, well, like, I, I will say this, you know, if anybody out there is loves this stuff like I do, I am so excited by conversations around it. And my, this is my, my purpose is to help individuals, teams, and organizations to achieve their potential. It's I'm on a mission. So I love this stuff to uh, create conscious companies. Uh, fantastic. It's being hired up. So love to Oh, and I know it does. And I, and I just want to um, share this. And um, I think people, first of all, people know I only bring people on this show who I think are phenomenal. But what they don't know is I only met you, what, for what, or four days in a row in, in Illinois. And so I want to let people know this. So, um, you know, let's just put it into perspective. I'm an energy worker who understands leadership and nutrition and blah, 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 blah. And I walk into this room and uh, Dr. Kevin's sitting in the front row, uh, far left, and his energy <laughs> was coming. It filled the room. Hmm. Goodness. Well, that's wonderful feedback. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to go sit by you. <laughs> but I let my husband do it instead because I knew he really wanted to sit by you and talk to you. It was you great, are, meeting, great meeting you both. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, you are really a grounded healthy soul so much so that it exudes when you're sitting in a room and people want to know what that what what is that all about mm-hmm. i want some of that and so if you're a corporation or an individual looking to shift the energy in your organization to have people think differently one of them, I mean, we've had 10 million reasons already just on this show that we spoke about. But what you may not pick up because you're not in the same room with him, that he naturally uh, attracts people because of who he has chosen to become. He radiates. Bring him to your company. <laughs> that is so gracious and kind of you. Thank you. I'm not that kind. <laughs> when people say when I give a compliment they go, oh that's so kind I'm really not that nice <laughs> I'm more rooted in truth than I am in kindness quite frankly I have to learn to be more kind <laughs> <laughs> so if that tells you anything right I'm really not rooted in kindness I'm rooted in truth so take it in I, I, I like that distinction I like that distinction and I will, I will own it, right? I mean, my path has been a long, circuitous route of continually, as we start at the beginning, being on the path of a self-awareness junkie, months and months in meditation and academic study and practice and roaming around the planet and working with companies and working with myself and working as a therapist for, for a decade back in the last millennium and, you know, 
many different hats I've worn uh, to get here. It's it's good. It's good to try to be a, a good version of myself. <laughs> well, and you're still growing too, which is yeah. awesome. And even as, when we're achieving greatness, the reason we're achieving greatness is because we're still reinventing. Yeah. Right. Here's, here's to the reinvention. Here's to the reinvention. Boom shakalaka. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, so we're ending the show a little early today. Uh, Dr. Kevin's got his next appointment, but you know how to reach out to him. Uh, so Kevin, Dr. Kevin Mays, Kevin at MaysLeadership.com, 406-396-6978. We are beyond grateful that you chose to spend time with us today. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, uh, thank you. Much appreciated. Wonderful yeah. hour and a half. I really appreciate it. Hanging out with you. Likewise, likewise. And, um, I'll connect you, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk after the show. Uh, uh, we'll connect you on some other subject matters so we can uh, move forward. All right? Beautiful. Take care now. You too. Bye-bye. What if you could live to be 120 years old and remain active, healthy, alert, and vibrant? Our bodies are made up of cells that are constantly rejuvenating. So if we take proper care of ourselves, we can literally defy aging. Join us every Tuesday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Standard Time to learn about self-cell care from Susan Essentials on the Female Solution Blog Talk Radio Show. Learn how to help your body and yourself feel rejuvenated each day through proper nutrition, sleep, frequency medicine, and many unconventional methods of self-care. I'm Jody Susan. Join me and my amazing guests by calling in at 515-605-9325 and press 1 to speak. We'll help you achieve a breakthrough in your health today. All right, and we do thank Dr. Kevin Mays for his amazing information. We are uh, continue on. This is Naima Latif. And of course, you've been listening to Self-Care self, self with Jody Susan Calhoun. And we're going to take some calls. Uh, if you're listening online and want to join this conversation, give us a call, 515-605-9325, and press 1, and we'll open your mic. So let's open the mic for 312-632, Grand Rising. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your comment. Uh, yes, uh, thank you, Sister Naima. Uh, Andrew Nelson Bay, I was going to mention a number of things to um, Judy Susan. Is uh, Judy still there? Uh, she uh, is not able to answer, but you can go ahead and um, I was uh, going tell to identify myself as a self-described medical astrologist at the apex of German new medicine. Wow. I heard a lot of things from Kevin Mays that I'm uh, very impressed by. I thoroughly enjoyed um the discussion just now and I'm grateful to have the opportunity to say a few things um, I was going to read from a Baha'i publication called The Hidden Words uh, and then right. I was going to speak anecdotally about two nights ago when I was at Quinn Chapel AME Church 
this historic uh, black church on the south side of Chicago, and oh, yeah. I was going to um, – it was an event for Danny K. Davis. I was going to invoke verbatim pretty much the words of um, fellow uh, Darian Brooks, who uh, sang for uh, Congressman um, Danny K. Davis. He said, quote, God's will is not what he wants, it's what you want, but um, in God's way, you see, but um, his way, in other words. And so that um, resonated with me two nights ago, because the Muslims of the Nation of Islam um, would parenthetically say things to that effect, and that's an important concept for me to understand. I was also going to mention that um, since um, Judy Sassan spoke a lot about her banking expertise from the age of 15, I was going to say I'm about the business of establishing a parallel economy uh, entirely different and better, and it's informed by the um, – Universal House of Justice statements, I'm informed by the Universal House of Justice, uh, which is the International Governing Council of the Baha'i Faith. And um, I think it's important to know what a man's belief system is informed by, um, because that uh, is part and parcel with the very nature of his energy of intention, you see. Uh, Judy spoke of energy quite a bit in a medical context. Uh, she's uh, an energy healer, something to that effect, which maybe deals with med beds perhaps. I don't know. But um, I wanted to mention that I foresee myself being in partnership with Simone Gold, who is the um, – founder of um, an institution, it's kind of Republican, uh, it's called America's Frontline Doctors, and she, um, her, her company, um, Gold Care, uh, gets um, compensated in gold tokens, so um, I... Um, I'm about the business of restoring the full faith and confidence of the U.S. dollar as preeminent world reserve currency in a way that is backed by gold uh, the best and uh, most comprehensive way. Um, as time goes on, uh, people will gradually come to understand what it is I'm doing. And I'm... Um, the very nature of my energy of intention is part and parcel of what I'm doing, as much as we do what we are rather than are what we do. Mm. Well, that's understandable, and I think a lot of people are looking for new ways to develop uh, systems, banking systems, financial systems, and that, that shows great leadership in being able to envision that. One of the issues that we have is that people are believing they're stuck in a system that may not be working for them 
and not realizing they could actually create something different. So I applaud you in having the, the freedom of mind to see that it's possible to create something else and make it work. And I certainly think it's time for that. Indeed, my fellow co-religionists in the Morris Science Temple of America are expressly about um, building and establishing a, a, a better and independent um, uh, financial system. And um, I'm really at the forefront of uh, bringing that about. And we'll see that um, evolve over time. Thank you for listening. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you, as always. And if you're on our switchboard and would like to uh, make a comment, press 1, and we'll open your mic and get your thoughts. Of course, you've been listening to The Female Solution, Jody Susan with Cell Care, and our guest, Dr. Kevin Mays, who is a self-awareness junkie who helps leaders transcend their limits to achieve unprecedented levels of organizational success. He believes that before you can lead others, you must learn to lead yourself. Processes help leaders uncover and uproot the unconscious drives that determine their success and replace them with intentional success patterns. So let's go back to our phone lines and open for 706202 Grand Rising. Thank you for joining us on the female Assalamu alaikum, Sister Naima, and to your guest, I say greetings. Yes. This is Kwame Senhorse, and I sit here in stolen lands of the Muscogee Creek in Edenton, Georgia. You know, these topics, as we have gone through 11, 11, 11, and there's been a great solar magnetic field that has been activating our consciousness here on this planet. And I wanted to ask the doctor, I know we talk about post-traumatic, uh, post-traumatic syndromes, but have you heard they have a new term, post-traumatic growth syndrome? And that you're mm-hmm. growing. This, this this new energy of growing, we've had damaged. Now we're getting the energy of growth and being able with the downloads and the consciousness that's coming from above and the activation of the earth's higher human frequencies, our minds and bodies are getting activation for growth. Do you see this as what you're saying and the potentials for others to be able to create because we're all part of the creator's creation and we all have purpose here on this planet. This growth, you know, do how is that what you're you're speaking to? Oh absolutely. I see that people are evolving out of the the sheep herd mindset of thinking they always have to follow and do whatever they're told. And that it's inevitable that the leaders who don't have their best interest at heart are going to always be in control. So there's an awakening that's happening that's giving people more creative abilities to envision something else other than what is. And this is 
basically how the earth is going to evolve into that new earth where the systems we create are not going to be based on selfishness and self-serving and a small group of people exploiting the masses of people because the masses of people are not going to continue to allow themselves to be exploited. So the new systems evolving will be those that are beneficial to the collective. And that means anything that is hurtful or harmful or, or, or um, untruthful, those will, those will disappear because people simply will not agree to them anymore. And we're seeing, we're seeing that happening all the time. Even when it comes to whether it's food production, where people are no longer agreeing to consume genetically modified food that is unhealthy for them. They're no longer agreeing to uh, be um, pushed into taking pharmaceutical products that just basically keep them addicted to uh, stopping pain without there being real healing of the cause of pain. And they're seeing that their suffering has become a business. And that's going to change. That is changing. People are deciding to change their lifestyle. They're deciding to change their perspective. They're even deciding to change political systems. Systems that are based on conflict and and competition are being changed, and those who are aware that none of us can excel unless everybody excels, they're thinking of ways of how we can work together cooperatively instead of seeing each other as enemies. So this involves a higher level of thinking. You know, and I look at a couple of, of, you can learn a lot from some of these animated movies. I believe there was one called Ant. And uh, I think it was when the ants were allowing the grasshoppers to come in and, and, and force them to, to gather food for them. And the ants finally decided to, to fight back, to come together and fight back this, this little band of bullies. And, and they realized that they collectively, they had the ability to overpower them and not allow that. That was kind of a, a, a hint for us in the human family to stop allowing ourselves to be bullied by a small group of people who don't have any more rights over the ownership of the land and the resources than we do. So this is what's happening. We're, we're getting these messages from various creative sources to awaken to our power and to take back our power that we gave away to people that we believe somehow had some greater divine right. If you remember the, the belief about, the aristocracy, the kings and so forth, was that God puts this person in position as a king over us. And so this king is like God, you know, whether it was the pharaoh or the king or whatever, we, we were stuck in this slave-like mentality, believing that leaders had some greater divine power to rule than the average person. That's where you get just like, you know, the pope and everything. And I'm not putting down religion, but Nobody has greater access to God than anybody else. So we're evolving out of that belief system. And with that comes the responsibility to be self-managed and to lead oneself and to create for oneself and to see oneself as part of a whole, part of a system so that no one is being misused and exploited. And that's that takes some undoing of the brainwashing that we've really instilled through our education system. 
the reason I and I thank you for that. Our, could I respond to that? Oh yeah, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Yeah, but and that's why I brought up the post-traumatic growth syndrome is because all of those tragedies and things that have come, there is about a change on this planet and the empowerment of oneself is the greatest part of what we have to now reprogram ourselves because we were programmed to depend on and to have that which is our divine right, thinking that someone else has the right to give us this when it was our birthright to life, liberty, and the pursuit of your happiness. And so these consciousness conscious shifts that's happening above in this planet and the solar system being in the galaxy in a new energy we're now at a point of a new 26,000 year journey around our our milky way galaxy and these energies are giving us back some of that lost energy or reawakening those dormant DNA cells that they talk about. And these activations right now is like the Schumann frequency. It How many people know that the Earth electrical current and the current that's coming from the planet and the sun, planet, moon, and sun is activating the magnetic field in the human body and these changes that are going because of all of the interference what we're having is you know frequency hygiene frequency hygiene is something that we never had to really have before a hundred years ago is because we had a balance with nature's frequency that provided us with the level of energy to create the, the world that we see partially now but even more so what we need to be about reconstructing because we colonize the people now we have to understand how to decolonize how to come back to our sovereignty and our oneness as human beings because once upon a time we were communal now we're individuals so these are the shifts that i see sitting here watching the leaves drop from the trees, putting a blanket on the earth because it's now the season change and it's following the order of nature. In your opinion, how do we assist people who need to go through that process of deprogramming the mind so that they can take responsibility for their lives and be self-managed, self-leading, think independently, and and believe they have the power over their lives. How do we how do we help them in that process? And that's an excellent question because I just came back from South Carolina and I went up there to an opening of a six-bedroom house for women coming out of the penal system. And they're going to be allowed to have two children, so it'll be 14 children and seven women. And these are the parts of, yes, that that they had to go into that system whatever way that, that caused them to go in there. 
but the system had their children. Now they're being given the opportunity to have their children back and guide those children from what they learned inside of those institutions of what was what was incorrect. Now they have an opportunity to guide those children not to be a part of that system because there were women that three generations are in the prison system, the grandmother, the mother, and then the daughter. And so what we're looking at is this is the change we have to be willing to help and work towards. And the the acre and a half of land that they're on, it's nature, trees, and it has a nice big pond. So you can teach them how to get back in tune with nature and the earth, and they're going to grow gardens to provide food for who all lives in that house. And so it's those methods. What you're asking is we have to begin somewhere, and we have to begin with our own, and especially our women, because the disempowerment of, of women has been the whole thing of the patriarchal downgrading the matriarchal. And then the woman, every man comes from a, a woman, and every man has a belly button. So how are we greater than our mother? Well, of course, uh, I think that that is one of the main things. I think that's one of the main things that we have to take a look at. How are how are we actually um, raising our children and programming our children? And what should we be teaching them differently so that they can, so that they can actually be independent thinkers? And I think that that's one of the challenges that we have is that we have to teach our children something different so that they're already growing up with a sense of empowerment as opposed to a victim mentality. So I'm going to open up a couple of more mics um, and get some responses. Uh, Area code 872-731, Grand Rising. Thank you for joining us. And uh, what's your name? Grand Rising. Grand Rising. Yeah, I just wanted to notate, you know, it is really interesting to me, the times we're living in. You know, when you hear about a war in another country, and that's more important than everything, I think you've got to actually have something to protect your brain from this stuff that's going on. I remember months or years ago when I said instead of first thing in the morning, instead of turning on the television, you need to go outside and get involved with some nature. That's the real thing. Because if you sit there and listen to these people on television talk about war and all that, how does that affect you in your in your directive? It has anything to do with it. As a matter of fact, my problem with it is, is that it's just a distraction to keep you from seeing what they're doing locally. So if you just keep falling for what other people do, then how are you going to ever change anything? You have to separate yourself from that whole system. 
to have you to think, just like Kwame was talking about, they had the young ladies get out of jail and they're trying to reunite them with their children. They shouldn't have been in jail in the first place, but look at the way society glorifies uh, crime and jail life. You know, I mean, even in my lifetime, I watched recently this violence where people just shoot each other is just off the chain. If I didn't go, if I didn't have, if, if I didn't live a life without fear, I'd be afraid to go out at night just like everybody else. But, you know, I, I'm part of the news, so I have to go out there in the midst to help people make the change. So that's really the bottom line. We who have made the conscious change have to be the ones to direct it, not these politicians and these other people. They don't have an answer. They're going to just keep doing the same thing the same way, and the people are going to keep going downward until they separate themselves away from that and do what? the most I would tell us to do, then we'll be in the same perpetual trouble. So we got to actually start being more proactive and not sit back on the sidelines while they're doing all this other stuff. Appreciate the information. Be the powerful you that you're supposed to be and change the universe. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. Absolutely. Well, I thank you so much for those comments and always appreciate you for sharing your wisdom. We certainly do. We've got another caller, area code 312-882, Grand Rising. Thank you so much for joining us. Give us your name where you're calling from and your comments. We on Yashalom. Assalamu alaikum, Grand Rising. This is Minister Plump. We yes. on Yashalom means we are one in God. Yes, we are. And I, yes. Thank you. And I want Brother Obadiah to call me. I hope he's still listening. Uh, however, you know, it's nothing new under the sun, and we must uh, go back to uh, our roots. Our roots is 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 a vision, and vision is 23. This is where the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, there's no big eyes and little U's between any and all you Negroes or so-called American Negroes. And in 19, I believe, 59, he introduced the book called The Fall of America. And when this war began between Hamas and Israel, it, it began on on uh, October the 7th, 2023. So uh, we have to understand that we, as a people, it's our time now, Sister Naima. It is truly our time now, and I thank God for the female solution to give us an opportunity to share, you know, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, yes. and truth. And that we must true. promote. Yes, we must continue to promote what Mayor Washington said. We we must fuck the whole community. Absolutely. We got to go now, but thank God you so you. much. And God bless you. That's right. Yes, let's, let's pump it up. I appreciate you so much. And join us tomorrow because we're going to be talking about that issue of our collective responsibility. And we'll be continuing our discussion on the housing issue. So we want you to join us, call in, comment. Join us on Facebook Live on the Female Solution Global Radio TV Show and our YouTube channel, The Female Solution. We're going to be joined by leaders so that we can have a different vision of how we're going to house the unhoused by working.
together collectively. So I thank all of you who listen in and join in the conversation. Continue to listen and watch The Female Solution every day of the week. I'm Naima Latif. We'll see you again tomorrow. Team of radio hosts, I'd like to thank all of you who participated in today's discussion. And to our global family listening from all around the world, we say thank you. To our family in China, Sheshe, India, Zanyaba, Japan, Arigato, Korea, Kamsanida, Russia, Spasiba, Germany, Danke, Poland, John Kujun, France, Merci, Spain, Gracias, Italy, Grazie, Egypt, Shukran, Ghana, Medasi, Nigeria, Eshe, South Africa, Ngiabonga, Senegal, Jaret, Kenya, Asante, Israel, Toda, Pakistan, Shukriya, Afghanistan, Tashakor, Saudi Arabia, Shukran, Salam alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Thank you. And may peace be upon you and the mercy of God and God's blessings.